welcome to the Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at rope dope I interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their latest record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent, and their motivation around the new release. I found that given the opportunity in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about musicianship, life, and the challenges of being a professional musician. Tonight on the show, Mark DeClive Lowe. He's been on the global scene for some time. Hailing from New Zealand, Mark spent a decade in London immersed in the broken beat scene, and he's traveled the world with his detailed setup, composing on the spot and mixing electronic and organic sounds. In 2019, Mark is set to release Heritage, a two-part album that takes him back to his mother's homeland, Japan. The album, due out in February and second part in April, musically expresses his connection, respect, and deep personal roots. Here we are for another episode of 21 Soul Podcast Edition of the Station Tapes, and it's a great pleasure to be connecting again with Mr. Mark DeClive Lowe. Mark, how are you? I'm good, thanks, man. How are you? I am well. I'm really excited about the uh, uh, your new project, and uh, <laughs> I have I, I, I've listened to it many times to under to try to understand it fully, but I'm really really interested in hearing what you have to say about it. Um, we are set for uh, parts one and two, Heritage and Heritage Two, February eighth and April fifth of twenty nineteen. And the first thing that hits me, sir, is, um, and I and I almost had my ears tuned for it right away when I queued it up, uh, and I knew in seconds that this was different. Right. So, um, where do you want to start in talking about the the uh, the insp- let's start with inspiration. What, when did you conceive of the concept, and and where is it going? Um, I think. You know, I'm I'm half Japanese, and I've you know I've kind of tapped into that a little bit musically speaking uh, over the years, and I think that without me being aware of it, being half Japanese has actually informed a lot of my process, whether that's um, literally my musical process or just my life process, um, and I haven't really acknowledge that um so this kind of this became about my i guess my my identity and my personal you know my personal kind of ancestry and culture and what does that mean as a musician and as a composer and as a performer and you know where where can that take me Hmm. most of most of the work was actually i wrote most of it um for a show in LA at Grand Performances about a year and a half ago, like last summer, and uh, I had some guests from some some guests playing traditional Japanese instruments on that as well, and it was that was the first time I did a, a full like I am doing you know my interpretation of a ja- of, of of what Japanese music is um, to me, mm-hmm. and doing that doing that show there was a, quite a profound sense like a feeling during the show and after the show of of authenticity that I had never experienced before and 
you know, in saying that, you know, my my musical DNA, so to speak, is you know, I grew up very much, you know, on the piano and into jazz, and then heavily into hip hop and early New Jack Swing, and then heavily into UK underground music like jungle and drum, drum and bass, and later broken beat, and then house music, and mm. and these are all like external influences that definitely you know shaped me and informed you know what I what I liked and what I wanted to to dig into through my own music but this Japan piece is like that's the that's an internal thing and consequently or subsequently it's you know it really made me confront my own my own vulnerability through music and um and also it just it just allowed me to to have a what I would call an honest connection with what I was trying to express mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't feel like it's like you know when I'm in a you know I, I love doing like you know jazz gigs or dance party gigs and but those are certain modes of thinking and operating like you know I'm, if I'm playing with you know Dwight Tribble it's like okay now it's, this is this this is this mode it's in a jazz thing if I'm rocking a DJ party on a, with a dance floor it's like right this is house music and it kind of goes into these modes and all of my other influences do inform those modes all the time but it's still kind of it's not it's not like putting on a mask so much as returning to yourself yeah yeah and so so this really you know brings me back to home and hmm. And it shows me how absolutely imperative I think identity, you know, understanding one's own identity through ancestry and culture and heritage and geography, how those are all really important parts of having a a true and integrity-driven voice as an artist. Beautiful. It, it's fascinating to me. I mean, we do talk a lot about the, the roots of music and uh, the different communities that uh, that bring them up and, and, and how they travel the world, sometimes uh, exported from Western culture, but, but oftentimes it's tracked back through diaspora of, of persecution. Your, yours is yours is an, an interesting story. I'd like to talk a little bit about that so people can understand. Um, you, you were born in New Zealand, correct? I was born in New Zealand. Um, and your mother my, is? Yeah. Yeah, my mom is from Tokyo. And my dad actually went there when he was about 20, 29 years old. And he went there for three months to teach English. And he left 20 years later with his wife and my two brothers and me on the way. Wow. And they, and they moved back to New Zealand. So he, yeah, he... He basically turned Japanese, um, uh-huh. you know, completely bilingual, completely bicultural, and so the way we were raised in New Zealand was definitely very unique. Um, I didn't know any other families like us. What type of school did you go to in, in New Zealand? Um, I was at a, I was at a regular school, mm-hmm. um, and that was interesting because you know I. I I didn't grow up looking particularly Asian, but there's that age as kids, that kind of middle school age where kids start to really realize the differences between each other or, yes, yes. or what or what, what kind of car does, does Johnny's dad drive or whatever it might be. Um, so at that point, it was interesting because it became apparent that, oh, Mark's Japanese. And mm-hmm. that was interesting because it, it, really, it really showed me how other 
like it showed me my own otherness and how I didn't fit in and I think for me that actually was a big part in like not like a few a few years after that I think I kind I started like working with a lot of um, Pacific Island um, artists like Samoan and Tongan artists and it was very much in the kind of hip hop and kind of R&B thing mm-hmm. um, but I think that I really felt growing up an otherness to the kind of I guess Caucasian identity and I, I was looking for something else um, and so I, I, it was interesting how I think you know being half Japanese was actually part of what pushed me towards a whole kind of my, my entire taste of music in general um, which you know not being Japanese music and then you know when that comes full circle it's like oh, oh this is something as well like you know, my, my, I remember my mom used to say to me and like when I was like 20 and I had like a jazz trio and stuff she was like oh you, you should do Japanese music I was like mom whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> and um and I, I did actually there are maybe four or five folk songs that I did arrange and start performing especially when I go to Japan to play um and that was fun but I, I still didn't they, those weren't connected I didn't feel the connection between those and my life experience mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. um and and it wasn't I feel like my my ego still had other things I wanted wanted to do anyway um and other 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 sounds were more shiny to me than Japanese stuff. Yeah, everything was pointing west, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So and so then, when did you first go to Japan and and can you can you you know enlighten us on the you know some some of the sources and the structures of uh, yeah. Japanese music? I mean, I I went there first when I was 10 years old. Um and I would go every every summer holiday. I'd go and spend time with relatives there and um, family. Like a city setting, country setting. Both actually. Okay. Um, most of the most of the family was in Yokohama, which is a satellite city of Tokyo. And then summer, we were often out in the countryside in a prefecture called Nagano, like out in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had both of those experiences, and I think because I started going at ten. It was just, it was a normal thing. I was like, okay, so you know, part of the year I'm in Japan, mm-hmm. um, and then I went there. I actually finished high school in Yokohama, and that was that was a hugely formative, pivotal, and influential year for me. Um, Were you viewed as other there as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting now because at this point in Japan to be half Japanese or a quarter Japanese is pretty, is not that unusual. It's become a lot more common. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember at the time at, at high school, there was, I mean, there, there was, there were about maybe 20 of us exchange students. So there were 20 sets of host parents. And I remember one time the host parents ganging up on me. I'm like, I'm thinking I'm 17. Like what, what have I done wrong? <laughs> but they took objection to, um, to my, genetic predisposition <laughs> and so yeah. I've, you know, I've experienced that on both sides but mm-hmm. um you know for the most part especially that now i've been going to japan so long in a professional capacity as a musician it's you know it's a really you know people people really appreciate it and and appreciate my own interest in japan like i've i've always spoken japanese and it's it's always been there i've just never really um 
kind of done a deep dive into it through music and I I don't feel like I was ready actually and I feel like at this point you know I've I feel like I've kind of ticked off a lot of things I've wanted to accomplish with my music and mm-hmm. so it's at a point where okay well now the journey is kind of in inwards like let mm-hmm. me go inside me and, and see where this goes um and so the, the the music on the on the on the records is you know ev- every track every composition has a story and there's actually on on each of the two albums there's one arrangement on each album of a traditional folk song and those are both melodies that i would grow up hearing and um a song called akatombo um on the first album which means the, the red dragonfly and on the second album oero nihonbashi um which is a a part of tokyo talking about a part of tokyo in the edo era um like mm. a, an ancient time um but those are two melodies that i just you know they're as ubiquitous to me as as you know twinkle twinkle little star and happy birthday out of you Interesting. Um, so they're really iconic and and i wanted to you know, express those in different ways. You know, Akatombo is a solo piano piece, and I haven't put solo piano on a record in a very long time. Like I've, I've had a bit of a, a bit of a love hate relationship with the piano, and you know, I'm, I'm in the love stage right now, so I'm really enjoying reconnecting with it. Um, and then the other compositions are, some of them are, are informed by. You know, experiences I've had in Japan. I'm, I was in Kyoto early, earlier this year, and I went to a temple called Nanzenji, um, which is a really it's a historic site, a beautiful temple, and it has um, it has these gardens. Um, that I want to say the Tenjuan Gardens um, in within Nanzenji, and they're, they're so beautiful. It's like I've really come to appreciate the way the Japanese like to have things in balance and visual balance is the most obvious representation of that. And you see it in a Japanese garden, like everything's mm-hmm. so manicured, but it's, um, you know, like when you'd see like a, a European style garden, like a, you know, Louis the 14th French right, right. Palace garden. It's, it's kind of very, the imposition of man is very overt. Like, you know, every, the flowers are all within a flower bed that's shaped in a certain way that yeah. you know, the trees are cut into you know, geometrics, geometrically balanced shapes. And, um, but it, it's almost style, for, it's for the viewer. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost a show off, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's and it's, and it's, it's it's a it's a caricature of, of, of nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whereas a Japanese garden, the whole you know, everything is as intentional and as manicured, but the idea is to replicate nature. So they're trying to so you're trying to create the perfect balance of nature, but in a controlled environment, basically. It's also uh, interesting, though, uh, and sorry to interrupt, but it, but it, it, there's there's a feeling that seems to be uh, that people are striving for. Absolutely. Yes, then you're in the garden, which is totally different than, you know, the feeling in the French garden is, look at what I've done. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So so that's, so that, that actually, you know, leads perfectly to my biggest realization about about Japanese culture, which is not just Japanese culture. It's a lot of Asian cultures, a lot of African African cultures. Mm -hmm. I mean, frankly, it's all the non-colonist cultures Mm -hmm. um, have this mentality 
where well, the the colonist cultures have a mentality of the I, the ego, and yeah. the narcissism, and mm-hmm. you know, this is what I've done. But the you know, Asian and African and other indigenous cultures have this thing about the community and the we and keeping things in balance. Like, you know, we 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 all grow and strive when things are in balance. Mm-hmm. And so this time I had it Nanzanji and in the garden, it was beautiful. I just really appreciated how balanced it was and how beautiful and how natural it was, even though it was all, you know, man manicured. Um, and so one track, one, one composition on the, on the first record is memories of Nanzanji. It's, it's just a mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a revisit to that experience. Um, I mean, this is beautiful and, and I can see, uh, I can't wait for people to see this artwork, but, uh, but as I'm looking at it, but, um, you know, it has all those references and that balance, but, um, so now you're, when you're composing and, and creating the songs and recording, um, this puts a, that seems to put a, a, a pretty heavy pressure on you, um, to, to tailor and, and, you know, make, make these songs as, as, as perfect as possible. Were you, were you feeling that pressure no, I mean, they just, I think, like, for me, it's got to a point of I have a lot of trust in my process and ability and also my bandmates. Um, and the music, the music looks after itself. And at the end of the day, this project, you know, being so personal and kind of speaking to my own vulnerabilities, it, it, it just... It, it is it is in balance it's me I mean I can't uh-huh. It, uh-huh. It, it, it's so it's so me that I can't I can't worry about it like I can't worry about who I am it's just a, it's it's a presentation of of, be, of kind of beingness and hoping in the hope that people find some connection with it um, and actually when we did you know most of the record was recorded over three nights playing live at the Blue Whale in LA and it was really interesting because, you know, before every before each tune, I would share the stories, the reasons for the for the inspiration and the composition, and set the tone. And yeah, and it's and it's all very personal stuff that, you know, if if you're really into Japan, it's it's extra interesting. But for for some people, maybe it's just like I just want to hear some music. Um, well, I think that I, I think that what comes off is that uh, you know you, you are transported. To, to exactly. Japan uh, exactly. when, when hearing this music, and the reason I asked the question about how how meticulous it was, is because I think there's a, there's a sense of sort of like a, uh, of abandon and, and and improvisation in just about everything we've heard from you uh, before, and this just it does it, it, you know it's great to hear you talk about that garden because that's that's exactly what it feels like. That's great. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that translates. And and with these shows, it, it it was clear that the audience did really connect with it, and that that was great for me. That was a great feeling for me because you know it's it's really personal. It's not like you know I'm making a record of I'm like yeah, this is all really hip stuff, and I know people are going to dig this because it's hip kind of thing. Right. It's a it's a very different um, offering. Yeah, but also, I mean, I think it's it's perfect at this time too, because you know we're we're we've 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 previously been obsessed with reality and presentation, uh, you know, or the presentation of reality, I should say, mm. and 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 this is uh, you know I was listening, I saw Christian Scott the other day, and it just 
there was a difference in the in the way I hear his trumpet and and it just was really refreshing to kind of get away for a minute right <laughs> into a into a into some other space you know yes. um that that yeah. seems i i think we we lost a lot of that but and, and just forgot you know and so it's really beautiful to to hear this um i i wonder um if if you could speak for a second on in this in this world i i don't want to I can't get away from politics. I'm always thinking about it, uh, or social issues. Um, in a way, what you've done here, in my opinion, is you know going back to uh, your experience and and in a way kind of preserving culture by documenting uh, your perspective on Japan. Um, in the world today, um, there's a feeling that. Uh, you know, progressing forward together with other humans, uh, whether it's musically or otherwise, or, or through immigration laws, uh, is is the opposite of preserving culture. And yet, here you are, uh, a mixed parentage, and 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 doing both things. Right? You're pushing forward, and you're preserving culture. How, how do you how do you feel about that? Contrast are those two things in 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 opposition? No, I mean I think they're they're necessary partners. I mean you know culture is not. I don't believe culture is something to be like frozen in time and preserved in that manner for all eternity. You know culture should be a living and breathing thing. And I think um, you know I've been in the states for ten years now and observed a lot of social political conversation and, and activity. And I think that the cultural, having a connection with your own cultural roots and your ancestral history and where you come from is a huge part of, of actually giving you personal security in the world about who you are. And I do think that um, part, of, part of the challenge in America is that on both sides of, of, of the, the more binary racial conversation, mm-hmm. you've, got group, you've got good groups of people who don't know their culture. And, you know, on one side, you've got people who are stolen from a continent and they were cut off from their culture, so they don't know their culture. Yes. And on the other side, you've got people who decided to go and colonize a new world and leave their culture behind. Whereas it's like if you're... You know, I'm half Japanese and half New Zealand, and that New Zealand half is a mix of English and Scottish. And I know that, so why would I deny it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, by embracing these things, it's like, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's exclusive, exclusionary. Uh-huh. I, think it's, I think it's more inclusive for us to embrace, you know, our culture. And then it, it gives, having that, Having that connection to history and ancestors, I think, is also a big part of, you know, ideas like honoring one's ancestors and and upholding a lineage. And I just think I think it makes for a healthier society and healthier people. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't really thought about. Um, I mean, it's very clear uh, on on the African and African American side that people were ripped from their culture uh, and, and, and of course deliberately so 
but I hadn't thought so much about uh, Europeans who came here who have really just left their culture behind or, or yeah. you know, it, I mean, it's it, like, well, it's it puts like, the burden on what them. Is, what is what? <laughs> right. Well, I don't know how I got there, but but I am apparently, <laughs> yeah, despite despite different heritage. Um, yeah. So we, we so so really it kind of puts the burden uh on the on on the American culture in a way for 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 not preserving their own memory. Uh, yeah, yeah, and well. you know, the, the the memory is preserved in in the arts to a point. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like in, in in any form of black music, you can trace the roots back to Africa, and that's that's crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is there, and I, I think it's. I th- you know, I think that you know any any Black American given a choice to know their cultural roots, they would say yes, please, and they would honor them. Um, so I think it you know it's only it can only be an empowering thing. And so for me, you know, I don't. It's also interesting in that I've come up, you know, very much inspired and influenced by the tradition of, of Black music, um, and you know, this that kind of purest conversation of like, oh, you're not American, why are you playing jazz or stuff like that? You're not black and that kind of sure, thing. Sure, sure. Um, and, you know, I don't subscribe to those conversations anyway, but in this piece, in this project with Heritage, I'm able to find myself and how I can, how I can voice myself in this music. And also, you know, meanwhile, maintaining all those influences, it's, you know, it's a jazz record and it has these touches of electronics and, and different textural elements, but the the essence of it is kind of anchored by the cultural piece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk um, a little bit about the personnel on the record? I see some familiar names here. For sure. Um, you know, this is a really, it's a really special group of musicians, and I'm, I'm really happy it worked out like this. Um, the... Um, on the saxes, primarily it's Josh Johnson on sax and flute. Um, Josh was with me for the Live of the Blue Whale EP from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we played, we've been playing for maybe four or five years now. He's a you know, phenomenal musician. Just He's so empathetic and supportive to the musical moment um, and very lyrical in his playing. Like, I just, I know that he... Whatever I give him, he'll bring the music to it. Um, so he's he's super special. He's also now the MD for Leon Bridges, so he's you know, he's doing his thing, which is which is great. Um, uh-huh. And then Teodros Avery, who's on tenor sax on a, on a few tracks. Um, you know, Teo, he's one of the heaviest tenor players of our time. Um, he's been I, I actually I'm, I first came across him when I was at Berkeley College of Music a long time ago I was a freshman and he was a senior um, and we reconnected more recently in LA and he's just he's like a he's a powerhouse so mm-hmm. having him do his thing has been great uh, Brandon Eugene Owens on bass he's been playing with me for a while too he was also on the live the blue whale joint mm-hmm. um, and he's you know, he's a incredible songwriter producer bass player he came up playing with like all the the young lions of the, the late 90s um early 2000s and you know more recently you know with terrace martin and, and he's been with glasper on and off he's just a you know, really talented cat who like josh actually has a really really lyrical approach with bass um and 
he can support the the more the more chill moments and the more in your face moments. Like he's he's always there. Um, then Brandon Combs on drums. Uh, this is the first time he's recorded with me, but he's been he's been playing with me on and off for maybe three years, about three years now. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a young cat, and he's just you know, super creative and super open. And for me, a big a big question with drummers is always the way I like to marry technology and live kind of organic music, musicians. Um, the drummer is part of that, a big part of that kind of glue and that connection. Mm-hmm. And he really he really gets it. Like he you know, he produces and makes beats, so he understands that side of things, and he can play a lot of drums. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's really been a great find and someone I, you know, I really enjoy playing with and he, yeah, he really brought a lot to the record with all the different dynamics um, and then Carlos Nino is on some additional percussion on the record mm-hmm. Carlos is like a, you know, he's a he's a godfather of the LA music scene you know if it wasn't for him you know bass music wouldn't have happened like he, he put Russ G on the map and then that whole thing just happened and he had a project called Build an Art which a lot of people may know and He's, he's been just a really key person in a lot of um, happenings and scenes and periods in LA. Interesting. So it's, it's been great to connect with him, and you know we have a lot of mutual friends. Like we'll we'll play together with um, like Dwight Tribble or Miguel or Miguel Atwood Ferguson mm-hmm. or Dexter Story, and so it's all part of the same circles. Um, and Carlos, he's like he's not a conventional percussionist. Like you won't see him like. You know, smashing down the groove on the congas, but he, he brings he brings like an extra kind of seasoning to stuff. And is he from LA originally? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really cool to have him have, have have him involved too. And it's kind of like you have like every person who coos on the project, just their physical presence alone influences how the music happens and sounds. Um, you know, before they even play a note. So it's really cool that all these people are so, you know, they're really into the project and uh, and into the way I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm making music. So it's, it's a really nice combination. Beautiful. Well, I want to remind everybody here that uh, Heritage is set for release on February 8th and then part two, uh, April 5th, 2019. I, 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 I just can't really overstate it. This feels like a moment. We're gonna, you know, uh, look back at, uh, at 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 your career uh, as this was this was a, a an amazing moment and, and a shift in some way. Um, and I appreciate it. Feels really that. big to me, um, and I think people are gonna thoroughly enjoy it. Is there anything else you you want to uh, say to folks out there? I, mean, I, just, I, I just really, you know, hope that the the offering of the music is, you know, received in the intention that it's created with, and there's a lot of there's a lot of love in it, and I think there's a there's a whole journey there. It's like you can, you know, you can go to Japan through it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I'm excited too to, um, you know, to to tour it and you know, present present the music live to to different people in different places. Good. We have yeah. to get keep Philly on the, keep Philly on the radar. We're gonna get you back here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. See, see the new fun. space. Mark yeah. DeClavlo, thank you so much. Uh, such a pleasure. Thank really you. Appreciate you. Thank you.
Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks for listening to The Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. And you can also find us on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Our 21 Soul video series features in-person interviews, music discussion, and live performances. And you can find that on YouTube at Ropeadope99. Big thanks to our producer, Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DeRubo. The Station Tapes theme song is from Red Hook Soul by Michael Blake. And big thanks to all the people who keep the flame burning, to all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show.